to Brain Conversations, the podcast for those who work with teaching others the nitty-gritty of physical skills, learn from others in fields they may never have thought about. I'm your host, Diana Rumrow. Today, I'm lucky to have Joseph Arnold as my first podcast guest. He and I go back to at least 2008, where we attended the Philadelphia School for the Alexander Technique. A bit more about him. Joseph Arnold is a violinist, Alexander Technique teacher, and director of the Soul Force Arts Institute. He is the author of the upcoming book, Soul Force Arts, The Vital Role of Musicians and Other Artists in a World That's Lost Its Mind. Today, he and I are talking about the roles of the right and left hemispheres of the brain, especially as they relate to learning. We're often referencing the Ian McGilchrist book, The Matter with Things. Please enjoy our conversation. I'm here with Joseph Arnold, my longtime colleague and friend uh, Hello, from Diana. Alexander Technique Teacher School. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I'm um, Joseph is a person of many hats, one could say. Um, would you like to explain a bit about? Um, just, just a little summary of what it is you do and um, why you're why you're interested in what you're interested in. Sure. I'm a violinist. I'm an Alexander Technique teacher and the director of the Soul Force Arts Institute. So I've been playing violin since I was just a little boy and this is what I do professionally and I teach violin and I got into Alexander Technique because of injuries in my arms that I sustained during my very stressful uh, music education in college and it was the only thing that really helped me and we might talk a little bit about why and how it helped me today uh, during this interview um, but it's it was I guess one of the things that it opened up for me was that not only did it help me relieve the pain that I was in but it opened up a, a whole world of self-discovery and making connections about my body and about you know, the brain and the mind and the sort of larger questions of life. And so it, it was really a, a, it's been a wonderful and very rich experience. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it really was. Um, you and I were in Alexander Technique teacher training for five years together um, at the Philadelphia School for the Alexander Technique. And would you like to summarize what the Alexander Technique is? Sure. Yeah, and so I'll describe it a little bit and maybe we can get into some of these other kind of fascinating ideas uh, I've come across about um, the brain laterality, left hemisphere, right hemisphere differences and, and how that ties into Alexander Technique. I find this all fascinating just in its own right because it's because it's just so fun to to learn about. But it, learning about the laterality of the brain has actually helped me understand the Alexander technique better. It's helped me understand uh, different approaches to teaching, different different approaches to creativity and the arts. So it's it's a really powerful lens. So Alexander technique is a method of learning how to use your body with less strain, less tension. It's really about ease of movement, learning how to be at ease, 
even when you're doing difficult things, especially when you're doing difficult things like playing music. And like I said, it was really helpful for me for releasing the tension that was causing repetitive strain injuries that I had. And it's helpful in lots of other ways. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in Alexander School and, and as I've taught Alexander Technique, um, many of my students are musicians. And what I noticed is that when I help them release the excess tension in their body, uh, then all of a sudden their music takes on this whole new quality. Their technique becomes so much more fluid, their sound quality improves, and, and it's, there's this expressive quality that just sort of arrives whole and unbidden. It's this spontaneous, luminous, very touching, um, deeply moving quality. You know, you know sometimes when I'm in, in lessons teaching this, you know, I'm moved to the point of tears hearing my students play. And, and really the gateway to this expressive quality is the, the release of excess tension. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of an overview of some of the offerings that Alexander Technique has for musicians and artists. Great, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Alexander Technique can kind of famously be difficult to sum up in words. Yeah. Thanks for giving your take on it. Yeah, so, you know, for, for me, the Alexander Technique has always been more than just how to move more freely. It certainly is that. Um, but some of the more exciting uh, aspects uh, come from a, a deeper understanding, and, and this is kind of what I want to get into today, which is, for me, when there's a release of excess muscular tension in your body, when you learn how to move more freely, um, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just, I don't know, a, a different kind of firing of nerves or whatever. It's, it, it's not a physical structural thing that's changing. It's not a, just a, like a postural thing. For me, the way I think about it, it's that you're shifting into a, a whole new way of being. And Mr. Alexander noticed this as well, the originator of the Alexander Technique. He, he called two different ways of being, end gaining and the means whereby. And you don't really know, need to know what they mean. That's just his special Victorian jargon. That's when he was born in the Victorian era. Um, but they basically describe two different whole ways of being in the world, two different ways of thinking and acting and feeling and using your body. I call them the doing mode and the receiving mode. And I want to give you a, a sense of what those are right now. So you can do this um, just in, as a listener of this po podcast. You know, it, it helps to be able to see this a little bit, but you, you, you can I'll try to do my best to describe this. We're going to do a little experiment right now. Perfect. And you don't need any special equipment. Just going to bring your hands up in front of you. And what I want you to do is tap your thumbs together and then your pointer fingers together and then your middle fingers together and your ring fingers. And you're going to go back and forth, tapping the very tips of your fingers together very quickly. And make sure you don't miss. Make sure that you get the just like very center of each finger on the center of the opposite finger. And you go just go a little bit faster. So you tap your fingers all together, uh, the, each, each in a sequence. Okay, so let, now let's pause and notice your body. Is your body getting tighter or freer right now? And I mean, 
uh, I what I noticed for myself in doing this is that I got tighter. And you can also ask yourself, you know, like, did your visual field get narrower or wider? And certainly I found my visual field becoming more like tunnel vision, like as it closed in on my fingers. And you may also, may also notice something about you know, the direction your head was going in. You know, uh, one thing that some you know, the chiropractors and physical therapists are always haranguing us about is our head forward posture, <laughs> right? And so, and so you, you might notice that head forward posture happening here. So this is the doing mode. Okay, so it's, it's a feeling of being under stress a little bit, even though this isn't a very stressful thing, you're like, but oh my goodness, it's happening. Your body's getting tighter. Your field of vision is getting, getting narrower. You've got the head forward thing happening. There's a feeling of being rushed. So this is all the doing mode. And again, Mr. Alexander called this end gaining. And what he meant by that was going for the end goal without considering how you get there. In this case, the how being how you're using your body. Are you getting tighter or are you getting freer? So the alternative is what I call the receiving mode. And so let's do the same exercise where you're tapping your fingers. Uh, but this time, I want you to think of receiving your fingers. And we can actually take a clue from the two different parts of the nervous system, the afferent nerves and the afferent nerves, the, the movement nerves, which go away from the central nervous system, and then the sensory nerves, which come towards the uh, central nervous system. And what we're going to focus on is the sensory nerves. So you're going to think of receiving the sensations of your fingers. There's nothing you can do to go out to reach the sensations of your fingers. They just appear in consciousness. Receiving the movement, even, the feeling of the movement, receiving the visual um, experience of seeing your hands, receiving the light that's bouncing off of your fingers, receiving any sounds that you hear. So this is the receiving mode. And again, you can ask these same questions. What happened in your body? Did you get tighter or freer? I certainly noticed much more freedom this time. And you know, what happened to your visual field? Did it get wider or narrower? Um, you know, my, my, my visual state, visual field stayed quite wide that time. And I'm wondering if you noticed your, if your head forward posture happened that time. This time I noticed I, I was kind of sitting back more in myself. So I have more to say about this and, and how this connects to the brain laterality, but I'm kind of curious, Diana, were you following along there? What, what I was, do? yes, I was doing it as well. Um, as an Alexander technique practitioner, even, you know, it's something that, you know, we've practiced a lot and it's, it's still always fascinating to notice those two different modes, yeah. even though you can kind of anticipate um, one versus the other the you know the doing mode is a you know sense of effort um mm -hmm. and the receiving mode it almost like it does itself that's right exactly right so that's a, a perfect um well, summary of what these two modes of being are like and actually what what they correlate to in each of us is the left and right hemispheres and so 
there's actually, I want to say something before I get into that. As an Alexander Technique trainee years ago, I used to really beat myself up about getting tense. And I know that other people feel this way too in the yoga world or in the meditation world or or just whatever. Somehow we have this idea that um, there must be something wrong with me for getting so tense. And what I've learned is that, no, there's nothing wrong. You're actually just acting from one part of your nervous system as opposed to another. And the the trick then is to recognize what's happening for you and have some tools around rebalancing that. And so what I'm going to share next is really in service of gaining awareness of what's happening inside yourself so that you can begin to have more of a sense of choice about what's happening in your life. So like I said, doing mode, receiving mode has neural correlates. And I, and I discovered this when reading a, a fascinating, gigantic book called The Matter With Things by Ian McGilchrist. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's something like 1400 pages. It certainly and, is a gigantic book. <laughs> and the, and the, the last half of the second volume of the book is all those end notes. And he actually he makes an apology in the introduction for his book in his book uh, for the number of citations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I so, so the, the premise of the book is that there's something wrong in the way that we live in our society. And I, since that we many of us can sort of intuit what this is, there's a sort of a mechanization or a sense of separation or the bureaucratization of things and or you might just have this feeling of kind of emptiness or getting lost in the rat race right and this is this is so common and he's pointing out connections between that feeling that co common experience and neural correlates especially left and specifically hemisphere. laterality is what yes, he's talking about exactly. left brain versus right brain yes yeah and and he's uh he's had a whole career studying this and the depth of his knowledge is quite astounding and you know this came together for me especially when reading his chapter on creativity which is just fascinating and what i think i'd like to do is to read off of some of the characteristics that i learned from that book of the difference between between excuse me left and right hemispheres of the brain and then maybe we can kind of take take a step back and examine how those characteristics from neuroscience uh, connect to the doing mode the receiving mode and also issues about creativity that would be fantastic all right so i have a whole bunch of them listed out here i, I i'll just read off a few and we'll see what happens okay great all right, so I'm going to first read off some comparisons. The right hemisphere tends to have a more trusting uh, way of being, whereas the left hemisphere is more fearful, less trusting. The right hemisphere is more flexible and spontaneous, uh, but the left hemisphere tends to be more rigid and stereotyped. The right hemisphere has the ability to make distant connections 
Um, and the left hemisphere has a more narrow focus. Uh, the right hemisphere has more of a willingness to respond to change and can work with information that's implicit and ambiguous. Whereas the left hemisphere likes things to be explicit, um, to go according to plan, for there to be consecutives for things. Um, the results of right hemisphere activities tend to respond, tend to arrive as a whole, spontaneously, unbidden, like a, like a stroke of insight. Whereas the left hemisphere arrives at its results after a linear series of predetermined steps. And I'll say that you know, maybe you're already getting a sense of how different they are and how they might apply to creativity. Uh, uh, one of the main points that he makes in the book, in Ian McGilchrist, is that both are necessary for balancing each other out. I was just and, about to, to mention yeah. that he's not saying that one is good yeah. and one is bad, but that, yeah. but perhaps that does he describe it kind of as a master and emissary or like that's a, one of his books yeah right exactly you mind saying more about that sure yeah the master and his emissary that's a metaphor from one of mcgillchrist's other books it's the title of one, one of his other books the master being the right hemisphere the emissary being the left hemisphere and the story he tells with that is that um these are two vital roles in each person the master is the one who comes up with the, with the plans uh, or the overall goals and you know, has a sense of purpose about things, can see the whole picture. But the master is going to stay in his or her throne room, not going to go out and, and actually do the nitty gritty of things. That part is up to the emissary, the left hemisphere, who is really good at figuring out the nitty gritty details and you know, like taking a big idea and breaking it down into component parts and figuring out how the, all those parts go together, right? And the trouble is what's happened in ourselves and on, in our society is so often that the left hemisphere, the emissary, so often takes over. There's too much of breaking things down into component parts. We lose the sense of the larger picture. We lose the sense of the forest. We get lost in the trees. This is like analysis paralysis, right? And this is also the doing mode. Get narrow focus, the sense of effort. And without the larger focus, without the context, without the sense of embodied meaning, uh, then life is really stressful because then all you have is the rat race. And the details. So, yeah. Yeah, and right, and it's just so fascinating in that um, in that chapter on creativity, he shows pictures of paintings and gives examples from other areas of the arts of people who have lost their right hemisphere functionality due to a stroke or another injury. And he shows how, like before, their paintings had a sense of uh, a seamless whole, whereas afterwards. Their paintings were a series of little bits that didn't really connect. And that's really what life looks like from each of the two hemispheres. Yeah, thank you for that summary of the hemisphere. And he goes into quite a lot of detail. Um, yeah. Just he, 
my understanding, he's a psychiatrist. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. Just to give it a little bit of his background. Yeah. Um, great. And so um, you were saying, so relating this to Alexander technique. Right, right. So for me, the left hemisphere mode of being is the doing mode. And so some signs that you're in this uh, are, are these. So if you're, you're needlessly rushing, or if you're concerned about just getting it right, getting the notes right, getting the technique right, getting the right answer, um, or if you're like tightly controlled, uh, tightly controlling the outcome, uh, if your body's really tight, you're holding your breath, you don't feel emotionally connected to your ideas, um, again, if your field of vision is really narrow, if your creative process feels kind of, kind of effortful or tedious rather than in the flow, um, if what you're doing is kind of tinged with anxiety, like, will I get a new creative idea or will I get the answer right? Um, these are all a sign of having lost connection with the larger picture and the sort of sense of okayness that comes with connection with the right hemisphere. And, you know, you know that being said, this is really just an imbalance. All these the things I just described are, are the left hemisphere out of balance. Like in balance, the left hemisphere is what helps you take a creative idea and figure out how it's going to work in a practical way. Right? In balance, the left hemisphere uh, helps you analyze things and understand things in a deeper level through understanding their component parts, understanding how things fit together, understanding um, historical context, understanding the mechanics of a technique. So it, it, it absolutely has its place. And it's just that when it gets imbalanced uh, is when we start to get all the anxiety and tension of the, the doing mode. Um, and the creativity of being involved in the creative process more in the right hemisphere um, way of being, the receiving mode, uh, involves a sense of curiosity, ease, more of a sense of play. Feel like you're sitting back in yourself rather than pushing forward, uh, rushing. Um, there's more of a sense of timelessness or flow. Uh, sort of a spacious awareness. There's more emotional connection with what you're doing, more of a sense of seeing the larger purpose of what you're doing. And it's, it's really amazing um, how it shows up um, in, in accounts throughout history. So in The Matter With Things, uh, Miguel Gris shares so many just fabulous quotes. And here's one from Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in a letter. I won't read the whole thing, but you get a sense. Some aristocrat asked him about his creative process. It's amazing how this letter has survived this whole time. And so we get to hear like, what was going on in Mozart's mind. And you'll recognize he was so deeply in the right hemisphere mode of creativity. So I'll just read a little bit of here. How do I write? And how do I come to flesh out what are large, general ideas? I really can't tell you any more than this, because I myself don't know any more about it 
and can't get any further with it. It's when I'm feeling right and things are good, perhaps riding in a coach or taking a walk after a good meal or in the night when I can't sleep. These are the best times when thoughts come flowing into my mind like a stream. How they come and where they come from, I don't know, and I can't do anything about it. The ones I like, I keep in my head and go around humming them. At least that's what people tell me. If I hang on to them, I soon come to see one by one how to use such and such a phrase and how to make a tasty dish out of them all, using counterpoint and respecting the timbre of the different inst instruments. So, so right there, you can kind of hear both hemispheres being involved. One, the original creative process, like early in the creative process, the, the right hemisphere is at work. Ideas come spontaneously. He's not even trying to write. He's in a coach. He's having a meal. He's taking a walk. And boom, there's this idea that comes. It's so characteristic of the right hemisphere. And then later on, he has fun more in the left hemisphere uh, role of figuring out how the phrases fit together and actually writing them down on page and, and, and that kind of thing. And so that's such a beautiful example of the, the balance of a healthy left and right hemisphere in the, the creative process. Right, how they, um, and how they were in the right relationship rather than yeah. Mozart had simply just did the, did the mechanics first. We wouldn't be remembering his name today. Upon reflecting on some of what we're talking about here, I don't want to make it sound like the left hemisphere is the bad hemisphere, or the right hemisphere is the good hemisphere. Again, it's about both being in balance. And the right hemisphere can even be out of balance or overly active. And, and when that happens, you know, it's like getting spaced out or, or you, like, you have an inability to put your ideas into words or to give form to them or uh, to apply a technique to be able to again give form to your ideas and, and that's in some ways every bit as frustrating and as much a form of suffering as getting too lost in the weeds so exactly both are are yeah, needed both are needed um yeah so kind of what it step back to a larger view for a moment and then talk about some implications for how to teach, how to guide uh, others, you know, if you're a, a manual therapist or something, or how to learn. And I'll, then I'll tie that into um, some of what I teach and what I'm writing about in my book. Perfect. So, so we have these two parts of ourselves. They're meant to be in balance. Uh, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, the doing mode, the receiving mode, and there it's so much more than just uh, these different parts of your body as like a physical entity. It's, it's like a whole way of acting. It's a whole way of being. It's a whole way of seeing the world. Um, a really wonderful, succinct summary of the worldview that accompanies either way of being is this. So for the left hemisphere, sees the world as a thing, as an it, something to be manipulated. An object. Yes. Whereas the right hemisphere sees the world as a being, something that's alive, responsive, intelligent. 
to have a relationship with perhaps. Yes, yes. Right hemisphere sees relationship, left hemisphere sees isolated things. And the key to finding more balance in your own life is just to get really familiar with these two different ways of being. You know, reading something like McGilchrist's work is um, you know, a, a really wonderful way to immerse yourself in that. If you can, uh, if that's the kind of thing that you like, reading gigantic tomes. I mean, I love that kind of thing, but not everybody As does. As do I. Understandable, <laughs> not everyone does. Um, but th there's tons of resources out there. And if you just take, like, take a look and just at um, descriptions of even people who have had strokes, left hemisphere strokes versus right hemisphere strokes, you'll get a sense for what these correlate to in yourself. And you can kind of let that permeate yourself. And you'll begin to pick up on when you're in one mode or the other. Now, to me, I, I'm in agreement with McGilchrist in that what I see in the world is way too much left hemisphere, way too much doing mode, way too much of the tension and stress, right? This is why people come to me as an Alexander Technique teacher. They've been doing this creative thing, this beautiful, alive, creative process called music, or, and, but it's become this mechanical process. People view their bodies as a mechanism, as a robot, as a malfunctioning machine with these different parts. They say, here, fix this part. You know, like my shoulder hurts, fix this, right? As if you, it's like you're going to the mechanic and you could just replace the tire on your car, right? right? Your, your Boy, shoulder. am I familiar with being? Oh my goodness! In that um, in that game, yes. Yeah, right. And it it has its place, but it misses the larger picture. That's the left hemisphere way of viewing the body. That's the left hemisphere way of uh, playing music. The, the left hemisphere way of playing music is getting the notes right, or even getting the expressive techniques right. Right, you can really subsume or, or um, take over even uh, the most sophisticated techniques of expression. And so, so there's this predominance or, or over over dominance of the left hemisphere. And, and so, what I focus on in Alexander Technique teaching is teaching much more of the receiving mode. And yeah, so that, so that people can release that sense of stress, get a bigger sense of flow and or a bigger sense of what's going on in themselves and, and be able to enjoy the flow. That is just like the point of music. The point of music is not to get the notes right. <laughs> but a revolutionary statement. You, you wouldn't think that like if, if you were to get in the minds of most musicians or, or watch many music lessons, of course, there are countless exceptions to this. But so often I see this in myself, I see this in countless other music teachers. What do we focus on? Getting the thing right. And that's not the point. So this is the left hemisphere. It's not the point of music, right? So this is just the over dominance of the left hemisphere. And so the first step to undoing all of that is just to notice it. Whoa, there's that thing happening again. 
and you might not know what to do about it. And that doesn't really matter, actually. The first step is just noticing it. And the very fact that you're noticing it in your life, you're feeling it. You're feeling what is it like to be in this kind of stressful, narrow way of being where you're just focusing on getting the technique right. That you just let that you just let that in. Like, whoa, there's that thing happening again. And that by itself initiates a process of change. Start to get in receiving mode about That's right. seeing it. Exactly. And of course, you can go to an Alexander Technique teacher or many other people have wonderful ideas. Anything that uh, brings you more into the receiving mode is going to help you with uh, these, these kinds of things. Um, so first, you know, step number one is noticing it in yourself. And, and because this is really where you are going to be able to best help your clients or your students. If you can't notice it in yourself, then you might be unwittingly transmitting the doing mode ways of being to your to your clients, to your students. If you're thinking, if you're a physical therapist and you think of your own body as a kind of machine and you're thinking of your clients' bodies as a kind of machine, then it's going to instill more machine thinking into them. And that's not going to help them. Because what's the cause of repetitive strain injuries, for example? Treating the body like a machine, right? So the, the, one of the biggest keys as a helper person is to do this work for yourself. And the more, and again, you don't have to have like specific tools. You simply bringing this awareness to your own life, letting it permeate your daily activities will by itself bring up more creative ideas for how to engage with your clients. And it'll just, it'll just change your quality of being, you know, like the, the, the qual your quality of presence. You know, you can, you can tell when somebody's rushing around, when they're not really present, when they're kind of distracted, you can, you can tell without them even saying something, right? It's just, it's, it's in their body language, it's the energy they're giving off, right? Whereas somebody who's really in themselves, somebody who's really grounded, somebody who's really at ease with themselves, again, you don't need them to say anything. You can just pick this up. And your clients can pick that up in you. So the more that you embody the receiving mode, the right hemisphere, like rebalancing uh, to include more of the right hemisphere ways of being, then your clients will pick that up kind of automatically. And then I think it's a, it's a really beautiful part of uh, the healing process. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that is, and you yourself mm -hmm. teach your own Alexander students as well as your violin students with this framework. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've been doing this for many years now. I graduated Alexander School in 2012. And over that time, I've grown to see the sort of surprising, so many different surprises, the um, wonderful surprises. So, so for instance, I, I work with 
young violin students. You know, some of them are only five or six. And I help them with some of these really basic ideas, like, no, you don't need to squeeze your violin so hard. And, oh, isn't it amazing how your sound just got clearer when you stopped squeezing? Huh. So how about that? Um, and sometimes I teach them what I call playing from the heart, which is a method that I have around how to make a bunch of notes come alive. How to make, what, like, what's the difference between a bunch of sounds, a bunch of notes, and real music? And to me, it's all about the, the right hemisphere uh, mode of being. And I even asked one of my young students, a little five-year-old girl, I asked her that question. So what's the difference between a bunch of notes and real music? And she kind of thought about it for a second. She said, well, real music, you know, the, the, the notes all go together. And so that, that was her way of saying that there's a wholeness to it. There's a flow to it, right? And one of the biggest takeaways that I've had over the years of teaching and applying this in myself, again, I'm a professional violinist, so I'm bringing this out into the real world, um, is that music itself, art itself, is, is um, not honored by treating it as a thing, a task, an accomplishment. And yet, in our society, this is generally what we focus on. Um, right, it's certainly what everybody. music schools and conservatories yeah. teach. Right, we, we get grades for music. I mean, how, how can you get grades for music? I mean, music competitions um, and in the adult world you know, it translates into other things like social, social status or money, jobs and that kind of thing. And I believe that pretty much everybody intuits that this isn't what the arts are really about. And yet here we are in a society where this is often what's most valued, the technical virtuosity, the uh, number of letters after your name, you know, if you have a degree or something, um, so that's social status or the amount of money you make with the arts or whatever. And, and so again, over the years of teaching, I, I've had so many experiences of seeing my students come alive. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so one time I was teaching a violin lesson to a young girl, maybe 12 years old, and she was playing a Bach minuet like this. <laughs> right, I, I bet you can just feel yourself cringe a little bit. <laughs> you can picture right. the scene. Yep, yeah. And so, but after, after she was done playing, she, something amazing happened. She, she asked me, why does my music sound so robotic? Wow. I know. Like, wow, what self-awareness. And, and in my experience in Alexander Technique, I knew that the results of what she was getting, what was happening in her body, and what was happening for her music was probably a result of what she was paying attention to, what she was thinking about. In the Alexander Technique, we are quite aware of the mind-body connection. What you think about, it's translated into your body. 
just like we did earlier with the doing mode and the receiving mode. It's not really something outwardly different there. It's just a thought, doing mode, receiving mode, right? So she was having some sort of thought. And so I asked her, well, what were you paying attention to? She thought about it for a moment. She said, well, I was trying to get the notes right. And that was such a light bulb moment for me because it was so clear that's what her music sounded like. Her thought was trying to get the notes right. The music sounded like trying to get the notes right. And it was this mechanical way of playing, robotic way of playing. So then I led her in a process of uh, connecting with something that was really alive inside of her. So an idea like getting the notes right sounds robotic because it's a static idea. There's just these dots on the page and the whole program is about matching your body movements, matching your sound to, uh, to the, the dots on the page. And that's kind of a dead idea, static idea. And so I asked her, that's why I wanted to get her involved in something alive because I knew that I could tell her to do different dynamics, right? Loud or soft here, or maybe this kind of sound quality or you know, that kind of accent or other expressive technique, but she, she might still end up doing those expressive techniques in a mechanical way. Right, it would keep her in the left hemisphere way of being. Exactly, exactly. So I wanted to break her out of that. So I wanted to get her paying attention to something alive. So I asked her, when you hear a piece of music that you like, how do you know that you like it? What in your experience tells you, hey, I like this music? You know, you could ask the same question, like when you hear a piece of music you don't like. Like what? You know, it's not like the Terminator where some text rolls down the screen, do not like, <laughs> you know, there, there's something else happening. So, so I'll, I'll ask you, Diana, when you hear music that you really like or you really don't like, how do you know? What in your experience tells you? I would say it is that, um, it, and it's a, it can be a, a physical feeling, but a kind mm. of a, it's not a feeling of the, the parts of the music, um, yes. but it's a, a sense of the whole yes. of, of how it, it feels together. Yeah, right. And that's an embodied feeling of some kind, right? You might feel yeah. some sort of joy or an openness or feeling kind of closed off, like wanting to move away from the music, or you might feel like you want to get closer to the music and dance. You might even notice your body moving involuntarily, right? Or right. if you don't really don't like it, it's like everything shuts down, you close off. Like, get me away from this, right? That's why I call that the inner audience member. It's your the part of you that listens and feels certain things when you listen. And so I explained all this to her and asked her simply to pay attention to her inner audience member while she played. The, that emotional center of her heart or gut, that's a source of aliveness. And the result was astonishing. All of a sudden I heard her coming through her sound, like her essence, I could tell. Like even if she was in another room and I didn't know who was playing, I, I could have told, you know, who, who it was like her personality and and there's just such much better sense of flow it was alive and as a listener the first time i was really bored now, i wouldn't have told her that you know as a teacher but uh 
the second time, I was much more engaged. It's not like she was a technical virtuoso. Right, her technique didn't change in that. Technique did not change, right? Um, And it's not like this was the kind of change that could happen by going home and practicing six months. It was a very different kind of change. She was in touch with something alive and that came through in her sound, that came through in her body, in her movements. And I asked her about this. She said her movements felt much more free and she said that she had more fun and that the music flowed better, right? No, so simple. And this is a really powerful way of shifting into that right hemisphere mode of being for her. You know, in that context, it was about playing music, you know, called that playing from the heart, but you can do this with anything. You sense your emotional center, your heart, your gut, and you do your exercises, or you speak with somebody, or you, you know, write your blog post or whatever it is, you can keep checking in with that sort that center of aliveness, and that'll keep you really well balanced between the right and left hemisphere modes, because the right, the right hemisphere will be the, the embodied piece, the noticing the emotional energy in your body. But you're not going to lose the left hemisphere analytical thing. That's going to be there too. That's going to come up. You'll notice something you want to change in a more analytical matter, manner, and you'll be able to do that. And so, so overall, the, the key is uh, that embodiment piece. And, and I guess the whole point of my, my, um, what I've been talking about the last couple of minutes is that this is what honors the spirit of the arts, the spirit of creativity much better. Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Thank you. That is such a, that's such a great concrete example with someone who's only 12 um, yeah. going from one mode of being to the other. Yes. Yes. Um, I look forward to having more uh, conversations about more topics in the future, but um, how can people who have their interest has been piqued by your work, mm-hmm. how can they work with you more? Sure. So there are a number of different things. I live in Philadelphia, and if you live in this area, you can come take Alexander Technique lessons with me, Um, especially if you have some sort of issues with tension or injuries. Uh, This is my specialty, help help, uh, musicians and other artists and other just regular folk um, move more freely and relieve injuries. Um, Yeah. And... You can go to my website, josepharnold.com, to either do that or sign up for my email list. I have a newsletter and I have a, a YouTube channel where I talk about the, all these kinds of things. Um, it's under Soul Force Arts Institute. And uh, this is kind of what I'm moving towards in my life right now is the setting up this Soul Force Arts Institute, uh, which is really about, um, it's a, an arts pedagogy that honors the spirit of what the arts are really meant to be about. And I'm writing a book about it. It's called Soul Force Arts, The Vital Role of Musicians and Other Artists in a World That's Lost Its Mind. And it's talking about a lot of these very issues. And what are some of the, what's the philosophical context for understanding a new way to uh, to approach the arts, one that's 
is more grounded in the right hemisphere way of being. Although I don't talk about that so, so much in the book, it, it's very much based on that. Um, and it's full of practical advice. It's, it's, it's really about kind of a holistic view, taking a look at your whole life as an artist or a musician and um, letting it all be in service of something larger than yourself yeah, so that you can experience this wonderful, luminous, expressive quality of what I call soul force, uh, which has uh, been such a constant experience in my uh, time teaching Alexander Technique to musicians. Oh, fantastic. And as an aside, you also perform in the That's right. Philadelphia area. And That's right. Would be... <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. For a real treat to hear you play. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I play in a few different bands. The one I, I play with the most is called the Hot Club of Philadelphia. You can go to hotclubphilly.com for that. And yeah, that's a gypsy jazz band. And I, I love playing gypsy jazz. One of my favorite styles of music. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much um, for your time. And I really look forward to more interviews in the future with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Diana. It's great talking with you. Mm -hmm.